but I do want to just take a minute uh, before I introduce our, our guests who are coming today, Gary and Paula from Think Small. Um, they're going to be a great encouragement to us this morning. But I just wanted to go back again to Mark 1.15. That's where we read last week, and I, we, we kind of took a, a detour out of our series that we're starting, God in the City. And I shared a little bit more about uh, my life and the journey that the Lord has had our family on over the last two years. And I used a term last week called a divine ambush. And uh, I think that's the way that God plays with us sometimes, is that he calls us into something. He doesn't give us all the details at first, because if we had all the details, we'd never go to the places where he'd called us to be. In Mark 1, 15, uh, Mark 1, 16, actually, Jesus calls his first disciples. He says, as Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come and follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. At once they left their nets and followed him. This is one of these divine ambushes because I would surmise that if Andrew and his brother had any idea what the next three years would entail for them, there's no way they would have put down their nets to follow God. Right? They wouldn't have put down their nets, their vocation, the thing that they were very familiar with, that they understood that they could do with their eyes closed and feel sufficient, in fact, maybe even self-sufficient in, I got this, I can do this. And Jesus said, why don't you just come over here for a minute? <laughs> I bet he giggled. You know, can you imagine? He knew, and he called them into something that was so beyond them that if they had known, they wouldn't have gone. I would suggest that whatever it is that the Lord is calling us into as a congregation is wrought with more than we would know, but we can be assured that God is with us and we are with one another, and he's going to lead us through whatever comes our way. And it's going to be great, but I bet the Lord is giggling a little bit (laughs) because he knows what's coming, and we don't. But we'll remember every time that he's always led us through to this point. He ain't going to quit now, right? Gary and Paula Hayes, uh, Gary, in fact, uh, grew up 10 minutes from here. He's a graduate of Cascade High School right down the road, uh, South Everett native, was a member with his wife at, at, at Eastside Foursquare Church where I was at for, how long were you guys there? Two or six, and they were just regular churchgoers sitting in seats just like y'all are today, and they took a vacation to Thailand, and they got to Thailand, and the Lord said, hey, why don't you sell your stuff and move here? (laughs) And I think the funniest part of this whole thing for me with Gary and with Paula is they're like, y'all, we don't even like kids. (laughs) We don't even have any kids. We just work in corporate America, and we do quite well, and we're just supposed to leave all this and move to Thailand. And uh, they'll tell you the whole story today, but fast forward from Thailand to about six or seven other nations and 256,000 kids later who have come to know Jesus, 80% of whom have gone through intentional discipleship. Yeah, give the Lord a hand for that. That's, uh, that's awesome. It's awesome. And uh, they're four-square missionaries, and they're just normal people. <laughs> right 14 years ago they just looked like a lot of y'all sitting in these seats right and but it's amazing what the lord can do and uh they're friends of ours they've come to share about think small which is a vision to see um it was thai kids now it's i guess just kids from all over the world come to know jesus and change the world so would you please welcome gary and paula hayes First of all, thanks for the compliment calling us normal. We have not been called that for a long time. It gives us hope. 
<laughs> I'm just going to scoot this over to the side. Okay. I know not to br- grab it from the top. There you go. Okay. All right. Um, I'll tell you more about that, but this is, this is home to me. I feel like, wow, it's weird. It's really weird. It's, uh, it's flashbacks, you know, every little corner. I remember, you know, my, my friend Mark and I wrestling over here. And, oh, my gosh, you know, I wish I had two hours. I could tell you all the memories from this little region right here. But uh, I'm going to have Paula start off and give you just a little bit of background in terms of uh, our history before we got into ministry. And uh, then we'll, we'll share for a little while. Yeah. I love the vision of this church and the passion of this church. You are amazing. Wow. It's great. I love it. Um, Yes, Gary grew up here, and uh, he went to the University of Washington, and he went into the Air Force, and he was over in Turkey during the Cold War Vietnam era, and he was a Morse code spy on a spy base and then he came back here and he started some businesses and he had a couple businesses and then he started working his way up into the corporate ladder kind of working in many many different countries i talked to him once i think he had like about 40 jobs before he got into that (laughs) all around here anyway he eventually became a national manager for power bar and then Power Bar was bought up by Nestle, and then he became a national manager for Nestle. And he used to f- travel around the U.S. training brokerage teams. And that's what he was doing when I met him. Now, for me, I was born in West Texas. Can you, you tell? tell that? <laughs> and I was born into a place called, I lived in a place called Leveland, which looked... Very appropriate, by the way. Level land. Yeah, it looks a lot like this carpet, yep. except for it's brown. Uh-huh. And it was yep. totally flat. Do you have something to say about my hometown? Yeah, I do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, actually, you know, it's funny, too, because we always laugh. If you've ever been to, you've never been, how many have been to Level Land, Texas? Anybody been there? Okay, all right. Paul is... Paul and her family are about it, basically. But it's a tiny little town. Don't miss with It's a tiny town, and we always say the city tree is a tumbleweed, you know, which which is very, very funny. Very funny. Yeah. It doesn't last for long. It's just gone Uh, uh through Okay, we'll talk about that later. Anyway, Anyway, um, then I went to university over in Dallas. And then my parents, while I was there, they got some some enlightenment from God, I think, because they called me and they said, we're moving. And I said, oh, where are we moving to? And they said, Maui. Wow. (laughs) If you lived in Leveland, wouldn't you? (laughs) Yeah, I've never been to Maui. So anyway, I moved over to Maui, and I lived there for 30 years. And I got there. I was 19, and I never did get married, like Frankly, there wasn't anybody there. (laughs) So I got, instead, I got into a career and I became an electroneurodiagnostic technologist. I was trained by some doctors over there. Brain scans. Yeah. People like me. I worked in the state hospital. So I was pretty happy, but I wasn't a believer, believe it or not. I don't know how that happened. But anyway, when I was 40, I got radically saved, and I started going to church. And that's what I was doing when I met Gary. So I met him when I was 50. No, 49. 49. 49. I married him when I was 50. 
Wow. So if you're not married and you're older, it's worth waiting for. Really worth waiting for. So then... Thank oh, you. thank you. Thank you're you. welcome. Thank you. So then, he, somehow, he's very persuasive. He taught me into moving over here, which wasn't easy. Yeah. So we moved here, and then we bought a new house up in Mill Creek, and we started going to for East Side Four Square. So I was here for a couple years. Then he had a brilliant idea to go to Thailand and go hike, uh, kayaking. kayaking. So we went over there, and that's when we had... The divine ambush. <laughs> so we stayed over there. We had a good time. And then the last night we were there, we went to a four-square church in Bangkok. And that's where this whole thing started happening. So I'll let you. All right. Thank, Thank you. you. Ladies and gentlemen, Paul Hayes. <laughs> we, uh, we actually have a house in Mill Creek. You know, everyone knows where... The Mill Creek Town Center is, you know, central and all this. Well, there are some houses behind the trees. And so we lived there. And we came back from Thailand. <clears throat> Actually, we, when we, before we had gone to Thailand for, as Paula said, a vacation, we had just bought a brand new home. It was the model home. And so we had lived there a grand total of four months. And Paula outfitted the house. And I never knew anybody or any way. I didn't, I've never heard of actually spending like a month and a half talking about window coverings, you know. Because, you know, for me and my, my background, you just throw some duct tape where there's a hole, you know, and then <laughs> you're done, you know. But uh, the house looked really nice, and we bought nice furniture, and we were all excited. So to celebrate the house, <clears throat> and I had a home office, we went to Thailand. And, yeah, that's what God was doing. <laughs> and he said, uh, you know, I had this sense of the Holy Spirit talking to me, and he, and he seemed to say, I'm going to show you something really, you know, important in Thailand. So we spent two weeks kayaking and having a great time. Hadn't seen anything really much more important. How many people like Thai food? Anybody like Thai food? Oh, wow. Okay, great. Uh, uh, let me give you, let me give you just a little bit of education. Thai food in Thailand is better than Thai food in this area right here in Everett. It's actually better. And uh, but, so you got to go sometime. Anybody have, has anybody ever actually been there before? Oh, wow. Okay, a few people. Wow, this is awesome. Okay, great. That's like three or four more people than I usually. <laughs> so we went. We had a great time. We were routing back. Uh, I just got promoted again, so home office, everything was looking good, and we went to a Thai church, four-square church, Bangkok, little church, in fact, less people than we have here today, and it was, but it was, we didn't speak Thai, they didn't speak English, <laughs> but if you've been in a place that loves the Lord, it, uh, you, you're connecting, you know, you, you feel the sense of connection and communion with God together. And it's just an amazing thing. God's a great bridge bringing people of, you know, we have people here today of different ethnics and, and different colors and races. I love that because, that, you know, God's a great unifier. Amen. You know, that's what Jesus does. So it was so great for us. So we were really inspired and we went home. And I remember thinking, gosh, you know, that church is really neat. When we get home, we're going to support that church. We're going to write a check for like $50 a month and just support that church. So I was home. Uh, we were home for two weeks. 
And Paula walked in my home office and she said, something has been going on in you. <laughs> Not that she's never said that before, right? But, but, but what, what is it? You just seem distracted. And, and, and if, you, if you are a husband, you might relate to this. But if you ever heard yourself say something, you had no plan. You never thought about it consciously. It just sort of was there. It just sort of came out. And it was out there. And it, when she asked me what was up, and usually with me, I have to follow it up with, I'm really sorry I said that, honey. I didn't really, <laughs> didn't mean, it didn't mean it the way it sounded, you know. And, but when she said, what has been going on? What, what are you so distracted by? I heard myself say in this brand new home, I think God wants us to sell this house and sell our car and quit our jobs and become missionaries to Thailand. <laughs> Which, when, it started, when I started to laugh, when I said that, I thought, you know, that is insane. That's ridiculous. Who would do that? And who, who said that first? I, it couldn't have been me. You know? And Paula looked at me and she said, I can't believe you said that. I thought, yeah, I'm about ready to apologize, like I always do. And she said, he's told me exactly the same thing. You know, so I sort of fibbed and said, yeah, honey, I kind of thought, yeah, maybe that. <laughs> you were feeling that. That's why I got it from you. you know. <laughs> and so to make a long story short, after 23 years in corporate life, uh, I picked up the phone about a week later and called the boss and said, God's called us to, mission, to missions and we're moving to Thailand. And praise God, he was a Christian and he understood. Uh, better than my missions pastor, actually, because, you know, because <laughs> we when I called up the missions pastor at our church, I said, we're leaving. You know, we're, we're, getting, out of, we're getting out of here. We're going to go to Thailand and save the world. Uh, he said, now this is after I quit, after I already resigned. He said, Gary, 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 <laughs> calm down. Lots of people get inspired. I understand. Come in. We'll talk about it before you do anything rash. <laughs> So I thought, oh, my goodness, this is going to be a very interesting talk, you know, because I'm, I'm sure they probably already plugged somebody into my spot, you know, at work. So make a long story short, he understood. We went through some training, but six months after we were in Thailand, we were on a plane and we uh, flew over there. And the interesting thing is, and I hope that you really get some hope out of this. In fact, what we're going to share with you today, you might be tempted to be really impressed and say, Wow, Gary and Paula are doing something amazing. If that is your reaction, please tag on the end of it with a statement like, what was I thinking? This is God. <laughs> because we like to say God has done amazing things in our life and in our ministry, not because of us. In fact, despite us. Just think if we were good. You know, maybe he'd be doing more. But... But it's, it's really true. And, and we're here to give you hope, not because we're smooth and perfect, but because all we have done from beginning to end, all we have done is say yes. That's it to the next step. So if you get inspired, if, if God is tugging you at something or and you're not even sure that, you know, Chris was great. You mentioned that uh, he can tug you into something that you're not even sure that it fits. We're here to tell you when you hear a little bit more of our story that that's us and that and that and the key lesson we have learned 
is to simply say yes. Did you ever notice that God never calls us to our comfort zone? Yeah. Isn't that funny? He doesn't, he doesn't say, look, I, I, you're good at this, so therefore you should do this. <laughs> I hired people with Nestle, and that's what I did. I looked at the resume, made sure everybody was, they had the right education, the right skill set, all these things. But if you look at, if you, the more you read in the Word, and the more that you actually understand the nature of God, he doesn't do that. He doesn't do that. He rarely does that. I guess he does sometimes. But generally speaking, he calls us to a place where we have to depend on him, where we can't fall in love with our own skills. So we were over there in Thailand. He said go. We, we decided we were going to go. So this is Paula and me right here. This is Paula hanging on. Okay. And so here we go. Turbulence. Here comes turbulence. No. <laughs> yeah, there we are. I was, I was thinking about not sharing this slide, but it took me like an hour and a half to figure, <laughs> figure out how to make that thing go up and down. So we could just watch that, and I'd be real proud. <laughs> but the amazing thing is, so one thing we knew we were called to do was the Great Commission. How many of you have heard of the Great Commission? Okay, amen. Praise God. Okay, and, and really the key statement in Mark, Matthew 28, 19, 20 that I caught was make disciples of the nations. Make disciples of the nations. That's all we knew. When we were called to go to Thailand, what I was waiting for is God to give me more than that because we didn't know how to do it. We didn't know how we were going to be effective in this great call. And maybe another little point of education today for some of you is that that call is for every single person that is sitting in the seat you're sitting in today. And you don't have to pack your bags. (laughs) That call is right here on Casino Road. And by the way, I want to tell you a real quick thing. I'm a proud graduate of Cascade High School. Go Bruins, I can actually remember and sing the alma mater, but I'm not going to do it. <laughs> but I could. <laughs> you know, I went to Evergreen you know, Middle School, which is, was Evergreen Junior High. And at that time, we were the Evergreen Lumberjacks. So I guess maybe there's PC in there or something. I don't know. And the change to Timberwolves, I guess, right? Roosevelt School, 10-minute walk. Everything was like 10-minute walk. So it is just kind of freaky, you know, being here again. But... Uh, uh, but amazing as well. So this neighborhood, I've, got a, I've always had a heart for home. And so I feel kind of connected here to you guys. It's, it's really cool. When we went to Thailand, we spent two years teaching English at the, uh, the Foursquare Church that had a school connected to the church. But have you ever had a situation where you were doing things that might actually feel great and you feel like it's for God? We were teaching English at the school. Kids were being invited, young people to church because they were students first, and we'd meet them, and other missionaries were teaching. And you could be doing some great things in your life, including ministry, but it didn't feel like a home run. It didn't really feel like the thing. Have you ever, if you've ever experienced that, um, that was, that was, that's what we were doing. And... We were in this sort of sense of what you know Thoreau says, quiet desperation. 
Why are we here? Why, why do you have us here? You have us here for discipling the nations, and we don't feel we're really doing that. So, that was a very big moment in our life when we started confessing to God that we were going to count on him to show us something different. And, and what I thought that we were actually there to do was business ministry, because that was my background. So it made sense. And, you know, I knew business, and, um, and there's a great, there are great ministries in business. You know, business has a mission. And so I took the UN course, I studied it for a business, for a micro enterprise, business for the poor. It's great ministry. Great ministry. And uh, connected with Joe Harbison and Colleen, and, and, and nearly went to work for World Concern. And then World Concern started doing some reorg. And at the same time, I was feeling like, why does it not feel that that's it for me? Even if I do it, it doesn't feel like... Then was frustration. I'm saying this not because of my story, but because you might have had that sometime in your life. Just not feeling like you were dead center in your calling. Okay? Um, So here's what happened. I don't actually I don't aim here. I aim here. <laughs> here's here's the reality. When you think about if you feel that your calling is my calling, that we're all in this together to be able to bring the world back to Christ. Could could we agree that Everett Washington can use a spiritual transformation in Jesus? Hallelujah. Amen. Okay. Or our state. Yes. Or our country. Yes, ma'am. And the world. And the world. Well, here's, here's a couple. Anybody like math? Any math people here? Oh, wow. God bless you. Um, <laughs> anybody not like math? Why are the hands more bold on the ones that go up? You know? I don't like it. I hate math. Um, I, I kind of like math, but if you don't like it, just hang in there for a couple minutes. Uh, it won't be any more math for the rest of the weekend, I promise. 2019, the world population is 7.7 billion people. It's a lot of people. Last year was 7.6. It's a growing population of the world. 81 million people more than last year. 2.8 billion in 1955. You think we've grown? That's incredible, right? I mean, I was actually alive in 1955. (laughs) I remember there were only 2.8 billion. I don't. Uh, (laughs) Now, here's the interesting thing. Percent of Christians... You ever wonder that? Like, how many Christians are there? What percentage of the world is actually proclaiming Jesus as their Savior? Well, in 1900, there were an estimated 34% of the world population proclaimed Christ as their Savior. Then 120 years goes by with lots of, you know, Billy Graham comes along and Franklin Graham and technology and satellite transmissions with the gospel. And lots and lots and lots of growth. Lots of people became Christian in the last 120 years. But what percentage is it today? 33%. Doesn't discount anything that has happened. But, you know, the real question is, uh, and by the way, USA population is supposed to grow 3 million this year. So age 18 to 29 
only 17% of people in that age range in the U.S. attend church on a regular basis, weekly. 17%. Are we losing ground? Now, I'm not here to just give you a bunch of bad news, okay? okay? But we have to look at some of the realities of what's going on in order to find an answer. And I promise you there is an answer right here, right now. And it's through Christ and it's through us. Okay? And it's not, think small, but it is learning, first of all, that God has not given up on Everett, on Washington, on the U.S., or on the world. That we have to, first of all, believe that there is an answer and look to him first. And I'll share with you. And that's what we've done, by the way. We haven't done anything fancy beyond that. Let's see. So in Thailand, if you ever go, Thailand, we're also, uh, we work very diligently with a, what we call a restricted nation. You can read it up there, but I won't mention it. Foursquare doesn't want me to, which is fine. Uh, and if I do, forgive me and just kind of forget, you know. Uh, <laughs> that restricted nation is communist where uh, Thailand is a democracy, freedom of religion. Uh, 95% of Thailand is Buddhist. And not the Buddhists that you see normally in America. It's, it's very, you know, traditional old Buddhist. Uh, only half of 1% of the people claim Christ. After 200 years of missionaries, only half of 1%. Restricted nation, a lot of Buddhists, animists, similar to our Native American religions. Okay, three well, percent Christian. Why do I why do I say that? Because God is a God is a God who could care less about statistics. Right. <laughs> okay, so if I cared about and if I, if I was still working for Nestle, I would look at that and I would say, why bother? Why bother? They obviously don't like Jesus. <laughs> you know. Why try to sell them something they're not hungry for? You know, why bother? And, but God says, look at the opportunity. Look at the opportunity that I have for you. So when we go to countries like Thailand, we see through the eyes of a tourist. At least we did. Paul and I did. So there's snorkeling and floating markets and great Buddhist, even Buddhist, uh, you know, uh, architecture is beautiful. The buildings Rice fields. We have uh, 57 tribes, 57 languages, and these are long neck. I'll tell you more about them sometime if you like. But but a lot of uh, people immigrated. Elephants. You know, you can't think of Thailand without thinking of elephants now and then. And if you come to Thailand, like on a mission trip, we'll put you on an elephant. And we've and we've already tracked it. 88 percent chance you'll stay on. So it's it's okay. <laughs> it's okay. Um, up north, where we live, it's a lot like here. Got some hills and rivers. It's beautiful. But what's interesting is that's how we see. When people come to Everett, they want to go to the Boeing plant. They want to go catch the ferry to Muckleteo Ferry. They want to go to Whidbey Island. They want to come in the spring and go up Skagit and check out the tulips. They see everything through the eyes of a tourist. God doesn't look that way. In 1 Samuel 6-7, the Lord 
does not look at the things we look at. People look at the outward, but God looks at the heart. So when he sees Thailand, he's not all hyped up about kayaking like I was. <laughs> at least in the Bible, Jesus never kayaked that I, that I, that I ever saw. <laughs> but what he does see, he sees his broken people. And in our particular case, with children. For example, he sees 30% of the children in Thailand taking methamphetamine. 30%. These are primary school kids taking meth. Comes in from Burma. The trafficking. Now, if you've heard about trafficking, child trafficking, number one in the world for child trafficking is Thailand. It's, it breaks your heart. Whether it be begging industry or the shrimp peeling industry or what's even most insidious is I call it X-rated trafficking. And I think you know what that is. And we're talking about parents selling their children, entering into that field of trafficking at age 8, 10 years old. You know, Paula and I started to, God began to show Paula and me a lot of things when we were in Thailand. During those two years, we now know that was for two years of preparation. We were teaching English, but he was preparing us. In every nation in the world, God's children are under attack. It's true. Right here. Right here in Everett. And our future, therefore, is under attack. Our church future, yes, but also the future of our nations. In South Asia, where we also do ministry, these problems, I'm going to show you a couple quick pictures here, but these problems are everywhere. These are coffee plantations. Children do the labor. Brick fields. Little Indian girl. Not far from where we serve. Um, we do ministry in Central Africa. And again, if you're talking about the enemy, Satan attacking our children, it's everywhere. God isn't geographic and neither is Satan. Uh, if you've ever seen the movie Blood Diamond, I don't know if anybody has, uh, but Blood Diamond is about the diamond, uh, the, the tragedies of taking children and having them dig for gold, dig for diamonds in the mines, in the rivers, child armies. There's a long story I can tell you about that. I don't have time today, but <clears throat> it's insidious. The enemy is working through the vulnerable. Burundi, a little, little country that, that we are serving diligently in right now, uh, is the poorest nation in the world. It's a tiny little country. See right there? <laughs> uh, very, very small. The Congo is right next to it. And in Burundi, uh, the people are amazing, but they're very, very poor. Travel warfare, child labor, more trafficking. You know, Burundi has 51% of their population is under the age of 15 years old. 51%. The Congo, 49%. Kenya, we are, we're just starting to work in Kenya now. In August, we'll be training up our first team. This is how I 
this is a picture that I, I believe that God really gave me, the world. It's like a house on fire. The house hasn't burned down, but it is blazing. It is blazing. And why is he showing us that? Because he would never show us something without a plan. Because there is a plan to put out that flame. And that's what I want to talk to you a little bit more about today. Where is the hope? So you can just stop right there and say, thank you very much. We really appreciate it coming. And then you'd feel so discouraged. And so would I. But I can smile and make jokes, you know, with Paula and all. Why? Because God is doing something incredible right now. He's changing the world in front of us. Now, if you watch the news, you wouldn't believe it. (laughs) But I'm telling you, where is the hope? The hope is the same hope everywhere. In, in Matthew 12:21, in his name, the nations will put their hope. Quoted from Jesus himself. It's the same in Thailand, South Asia, Congo, Burundi. What we have to realize is when we look around and we see, and I'm so happy that you're so connected to city and urban growth, and uh, it's, it's incredible. It's a blessing to speak here because God is calling the church. He's calling you and me to be the answer, to lead the transformational process. Spiritual problems require spiritual solutions. If we realize that these problems we see around us are spiritual in nature, then it makes only good sense that we may have a practical way to connect to them, but it is a spiritual solution. It's a spiritual solution. And in Matthew 15:29, from the heart of man come evil thoughts and evil actions, from our heart, from our spirit. So if we're not connecting to the spirit, if we're not having spiritual transformation, we're just going to be chasing our tail, doing good work, helping people here or there. But if we really are serious about transformation, as you said you were, you've got to get to that level. And you all are living examples of being spiritually transformed. So one day, Paul and I were on our knees, and we were praying for an answer. We were saying, what? Lord, we've been here two years. We knew we were supposed to be a part of transforming Thailand for Christ. We knew that much. And so the only thing we were doing is talking to adults. We were doing our best to share the gospel with adults. And we found in two years, two, that we could lead to the Lord. And Thailand is 66 million people. So I was doing a little calculation. I'm thinking, well, let's see. I will have to live to be 66 million years old <laughs> for me to answer the call. And I looked at Paula, and she thought, no, that probably won't, no you're probably not going to live that long. And so, and so we had to really be open, and we were desperately praying, Lord, we'll do anything. I thought maybe God saw my resume and was really impressed, and he said, i got to have this guy. Look at his business background. You know. And uh, I was just arrogant enough to kind of think maybe that was true. And... Um, but it, we, when we were shaken to the idea that maybe it had nothing to do with our background, that was terrifying. Because that, that was my crutch. So we began to pray, Paul and I, every night. We will do anything. Just show us what it is. We'll do anything. We'll dig ditches. I mean, we'll do anything. And I remember the prayer, anything, anything, anything. It was almost like a chant. You know, we're in Buddhist country, so almost like a chant. (laughs) 
anything, anything, anything. And then finally, I read this particular scripture, which I'll share with you in a second. And the answer came back, children. So I changed my prayer to anything but children. (laughs) We don't have children. We've never had children. We never spent a moment of our life in children's ministry. We were so... I wasn't sure I liked children, you know. Paula, she actually did like children. But I thought, that is the most ridiculous idea, Lord, you have ever had in your entire life. You know, I mean, do you realize, you know, what you'd be doing, putting me connected in any capacity to kids? And uh, ever try to argue with God, by the way? (laughs) You know, he's a loving God, but he is stubborn, man. (laughs) He's, you know, he's not going to, he wasn't listening to me. And so... Psalm 78, 4 to 8 says, bring the good news of the Lord. I'll paraphrase this a little bit. Okay, Bring the good news of the Lord to the youngest generation. Disciple them, and they will have their own children that will be discipled. And they will raise up, and they will replace the current generation. Who's that? Us. Who are resistant and stubborn to the Lord. And I thought at first... I thought, oh, my gosh, there's a strategy. God talks about a strategy. Somebody ought to do something about this. It's not going to be me. <laughs> you know. <laughs> so, but I got excited about the strategy, and then we decided to check it out. Let me ask you this. Uh, how many of you were over 30 years old when you first came to Christ? Over 30. Okay, there's like three. three. Okay. How many of you were between 15 to 29? Yeah, a few more. Okay, cool. How many of you are under the age of 15? Look around. Look around. Okay. Here's what statistics showed about 20 years ago. This was an American survey. Over 30, only 4% of Christians in America claimed they came to Christ after they were 30 years old. 1% came before they were 4. Right out of the womb. <laughs> Hallelujah. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, 15 to 29, 10%. 10%. I thought that's when everybody came to Christ. I was blown away. Why did I think that? Because almost every dime of every church I've ever been to, that's who we focus on to bring the Lord, to bring the gospel. So I assumed that we go where the fish are. Well, 85% came to Christ between the age of 4 to 14. That's That's amazing. That was a shock to me. So I thought, oh, no, maybe there's some practical side of this, you know, idea of reaching kids. And then I started to learn through behavioral scientists, they actually study the way the brain operates. And they can, they can actually put a milestone, an age milestone for every child that's ever been born, the history of the universe, anywhere on the planet. In terms of how kids learn and when they receive actually a belief system that will guide them in their life. And at age five, and you probably know this if you have a five-year-old child or grandchild, they're like a sponge, right? I mean, they just soak it up. You've got to be careful what you say (laughs) because they'll repeat it. (laughs) And you'll say, who taught you that? You did. (laughs) (laughs) Moral values set for life by age six, roughly. They know right and wrong. You know, by that age. And, and it usually gets synced in. By age 12 or younger now, they're starting to feel independent. 
is turning to what we call celebrate adulthood before it, ever, before it comes to them. <clears throat> you know, it's like when you tell your child to do something and they're six, they say, yes, daddy. <laughs> when you tell your child to do something at 10, they get, why? <laughs> you have to explain everything, you know. And my dad would just say, because I said so. And that doesn't work so much anymore. You know, you have to actually have a reason. But they're growing up faster. What, by age 13, social behavioral scientists say, whatever, relig- whatever religion or belief system you have, it sinks in like cement hardens. It sinks in and it will likely be with you for the rest of your life unless there's a great tragedy or something that shakes you out of it. So, Luke 10.2, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. 85% of the children who come to Christ. You know, there's 2.1 billion children in that age bracket of 4 to 14, and 90% of them don't know Jesus. So we began to look, and we began to study countries like China, Vietnam, Iran, North Korea, and, they, and the truth is, whenever you study a country historically that goes from nothing to something, not just improving, <laughs> but an actual transformation, it's always been done through the children. And normally it's been the bad guys, not the good guys. It's been Mao Zedong, Ho Chi Minh, Iran, the way they bring up the kids in their cartoons, showing them exploding themselves and, and Israeli soldiers dying and the national anthem comes up. North Korea, they take your child when they're very young, about three or four years old. They indoctrinate them for at least a year to worship the great leader. When I read about this, that's when I started to get really serious about reaching kids because I realized that the bad guys have hijacked God's plan that was meant for us. It was meant for us because they stole that plan. And then I started wondering, what are we doing? Okay. And we weren't doing much in Thailand regarding reaching kids. But here's the good news. In South Korea, here we go. Okay. So in South Korea, it was different. Because in 1963-ish, they had only 1% Christian. And they had a horrible economy. It was really bad. And the Christian community leaders got together and they said, we are going to reach, we're not going to give up on anybody but we're going to reach the youngest kids. We're really going to go after them. And in 35 years, oh, 35 years, it went from 1% to 51%. 65% of the government leaders in South Korea profess Jesus as their savior. And their economy went from the worst in Asia to the second biggest. China is the only country with a bigger economy than South Korea. People live well. Well, that's promised. In Proverbs 29.2, when the righteous are in authority, the people rejoice. Blessed is the nation. Psalm 33.12, blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. And, you know, you start looking at the spiritual and the history and the practical application, and you realize that you got, somebody's got to do something here. And so I just shared this. So I'll just move on past this slide. This is what we, we, God led us, make a long story short, God led us to begin a ministry called Think Small. And we have a purpose statement, mission statement, producing new young followers of Jesus 
to transform nations. Transform nations is our answer to the Great Commission. New, meaning there are hungry kids out there spiritually that we need to engage for God. Young followers of Jesus. Not just salvation prayers, but knowing Jesus in an intimate way throughout their entire life to be able to have God raise them up to be the leaders and influence their communities. So I'm going to share just a couple little things here real fast, and then I'm going to show you a video. Uh, church and community. You're, you're involved in doing some things connecting the church and the community. And what we realized is that there are some unmet felt needs in the community. And the unmet felt needs, you know, felt meaning emotional needs. Now, emotional needs may not mean um, real needs. Sometimes you just feel, right? Like, I feel the Mariners should call me because I could still throw the ball halfway to home plate. You know, I, I wanted to be, more than anything else, I wanted to be a major league baseball player. And I didn't make it. I was good, but I wasn't that good. And so that was an emotional need. But it wasn't a real need. The unmet felt need is a way to build a bridge from church to community to the gospel. And if you read Matthew 25:35, we all have read this. When I was hungry, you fed me. When I was thirsty, you gave me water. When I was in prison, you visited me. Those are important things to do. Very important things to do. But also, if you go a little bit further on here, and you read Matthew 16, 26, what does it profit a man if he has all these things but loses his soul? So when you're out connecting to community, please keep in mind what the real mission is. And one of the things that, I, that hit me recently was, why didn't Jesus heal everybody? He could have. How many believe that if Jesus wanted to, he could have healed every blind person? Yeah, just like that. Why didn't he? Well, he says a lot in his, in his word, so that you will know who I am. See, it was more important for Jesus to know that he's drawing people to him so that they can be saved for eternity than healed for a temporary visit to earth. So, that is, you want to keep that in mind. The unmet need. In fact, we have a president of Foursquare. His name is Glenn Burris. I just picked this up on Facebook not long ago. He says, the advocacy and rescue of children may be one of the most important evangelism efforts that the church will have now and into the future. So we do a simple five-step program. What we do is we have local indigenous teams of three or four people. And we train them how to go to the local church. And although we are four-square pastors, any denomination, the kingdom of God is bigger than us. <laughs> and, and they train those churches how to make sure children are safe inside the church. And parents learn how to protect their children. Then those, the church and the, and the team from the church goes into the community, and we do, we do outreaches to children, teaching the children directly in schools, in preschools, in villages, in slums, everywhere, how to understand and resist 
abuse, trafficking, and Internet exploitation before it happens to them. Before it happens. It's prevention. And every church can learn how to do that. And then after that, we do a follow-up for all the kids who come to Christ because we tie the gospel in. Now, if we can't tie the gospel in, like in that restricted nation, we have a different plan. They get the secular program, and then they're invited for the second outreach that's inside the church building. And because of that, a three-person team six years ago, 39,000 people have come to Christ in a nation where they said it's illegal to share the gospel and where we were told not to go. But God didn't listen. And then we have a two-year discipleship. We have teams that we send out, like people in Thailand, little, little teams. They go around to churches in their area, and they reach those churches and train them up. We're about empowering the local church. The missionary is not the answer. And even our teams are only part of the answer. It's the local church that will make the difference. It's how God wants to work. There's, a, there's the team that has 39,000 now. And out of that 39,000, 27,000 are in church. It, by the way, it's not because we're doing something special. We're doing it God's way. We're following his word. South Asia... Uh, that group started about 14 months ago. The Congo. They're all doing the same thing. Here they are in the middle of the war zone. Do they look depressed? <laughs> they are so fired up. Niger, Muslim nation. We have a brand new team. Started in, uh, in November. There they are. They just got started. These, these, uh, these teams now, in 12 years, we've seen 258,000 come to Christ. That's, that's God. That's God. That's despite us, not because of us. But that's God. This is actually the number I like better. 227,000 are in discipleship. Have entered discipleship. This is really cool. Out of that number, almost 30,000 are adults. We didn't even think about adults. We found out the children are the root to reach the adults. Who would have thunk it? Not me. It's almost like God's smarter than me. It's amazing, really. (laughs) I'm shocked every day. Kenya, brand new. We're starting uh, in uh, in August with our Kenyan team. Oh, my battery's going to last. Here we go. Tomorrow we fly to Peru. Uh, brand new Think Small team in Iquitos, Peru, right on the Amazon. A heart, it's the center of child trafficking in Peru. And we've translated everything into Spanish. So there they are. There's the Amazon. <laughs> Probably the hotel Paul and I are staying in right there. I know we're going to, I'm going to wrap up quickly because I know we're, you've got kids to pick up. One of the workshops is called God's Calling to Protect Children. For parents and for villagers who come into the church and they learn, what does God say about keeping his children safe? They belong to him, you know. 
We have another workshop called the Biblical Rights of Children. Not human rights, although there's a lot of compatibility. Well, what does God say about the rights of children? The biblical rights of children. One of them, and, and pastors signed a declaration. Each of these pastors, an Anglican pastor, this is a Congo, actually. They're going to put these posters up explaining that this church stands for the rights of children. So if the parents come in, they can see. I can trust this church. We're, we're actually uh, starting Pink Small USA now, uh, down in uh, Federal Way to begin with, which is going to be pretty exciting. We've translated and contextualized everything. Last verse I just want to share with you, and then I'll walk off, is Psalm 78, verse 9. 4 through 8 gave the strategy. Verse 9 says, But the men of Ephraim, although loaded with weapons, turned and walked away from the battle. The very next verse. And, you know, you think of that house that's on fire. I believe that God has given us every tool to win, to quench that, that flame. And it's as if we're holding a big fire hose. And all we have to do is pull the lever to unleash the water. But instead of the water, it's the living water of Christ. And my prayer is that you recognize that that everything you have is good enough, that God can use you, and collectively, we can just pull that lever and hold on, and God will do the rest. God bless you. Thank you. Amen. Paul, would you come up? Can we give a hand for Jerry and Paula? Thanks in your busy schedule for coming to spend time with us to encourage us to increase our imagination for the work that God wants to do and is doing in cities. And um, the, the good thing is all, they live in, in uh, Thailand and are going to Peru and are all over the world. Their hearts are with us and uh, we connect on a regular basis. And, and I believe you guys are going to be a part of continuing to help us yes. see what the Lord does here because this, this is your home, right? Yes. This is your home church, this right? Is it. This because, is it. You know, it's Cascade, <laughs> Road. Yeah. Cascade High. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for today. Lord, thank you that in the midst of much turbulence and strife and pain and conflict around the world, you reign. Um, Lord, you will always reign. Lord, and you um, are patient, Lord. Desiring all to come to a saving knowledge of you, Lord. Thank you for Gary and Paula. Thank you for taking a couple reluctant people and changing the world, Lord, uh, with them, through them, Lord. And we are encouraged that you can and will and are doing that through each of us, Lord. Would you uh, continue to link uh, us relationally to think small in the work here on Casino Road, uh, knowing that it's a part of one master plan, Lord. Give them favor and, and strength and protection as they travel. Uh, tomorrow, Lord, rest. Lord, give them rest and uh, great vision and hope uh, for the work that you want to continue to do. Yeah. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 Hey, thanks for hanging on for a few more minutes. If you have kids, please go get them. Uh, if not, Gary and Paul will be around. They have a table set up out front. You can sign up to find out more about Think Small, so that's where they'll be. And sign up for a prayer letter. You can do that as well. So thank you so much. Uh, we will see you guys soon. God bless. You've been listening to a podcast from South Everett Foursquare Church. For more information about us, please visit us online at www.southeverett.org.